We are in Daniel chapter 6, out of the book of Daniel, of course. And Daniel is a very popular book. A lot of the great stories that you remember. It starts out with Daniel, Ab, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We first come into in chapter 1. They've been in, carried off into exile. When Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians came in, they went through the land and they, they found those who they considered to be a, a good choice of the top of the society, cream of society. They carried them off to Babylon. And the story starts where they entered them into the king's service and they were going to fatten them up with the king's food, treat them right, train them. And we're introduced to Daniel and his friends not wanting to partake of that food. And they ask if they could continue with their diet. And after some convincing, the palace guard agreed to do that. He gave them a 10-day trial. And when at the end of that trial, they proved to be stronger and wiser and thinking better. And so he continued on with that diet for them. And as the book progresses, we see them rising into the king's government more and more. We see Daniel develops the ability to interpret dreams. God speaks to him, and he is able to tell the king his dream. And the king kind of got savvy. He had a dream that he wanted interpreted, and so he called in all of his seers and said, tell me what the dream is and what it means. They said, well, king, you tell us the dream, we'll interpret it for you. And he said, no, no, that's not how it's going to work. You're, you're willing to agree and trick me into what it means. You tell me the dream and then what it means. They said, well, nobody can do that, king. Well, the palace guard remembered Daniel and said, I have one who can so called Daniel in, Daniel prayed, asked God to give him the, the dream. God did, told him what the dream was, came, presented it to the king. And uh, because of the result of that, he was elevated even further into the, the government of the, of the king, into the system. And we catch up with him in Daniel chapter 6. He's now been risen up to the position of a satrap, which is a... Uh, head of a regional area, and there were people under him that the, the king developed a tiered system that they reported to Daniel and the other satraps uh, who interpreted what the king wanted, made sure what the king wanted was done, and the king was thinking about making Daniel head over those three. Well, as tends to happen, the others got jealous. They didn't like that Daniel was being uh, elevated to these positions. And so as the song goes, they decided to fix his wagon and tried to think of what they could do. And they couldn't find anything wrong with Daniel. He, he lived too good of a life. They couldn't find any insurrection ideas, any, any traitorous ideas. And so they developed one. They realized that Daniel had a habit of faithfully praying to God several times a day. He made no bones about it. Everybody knew he did it. And so they went to the king, played on the king's ego, flattered the king and said, Oh, king, how about for 30 days you make a law that nobody can pray to anyone but you? 
Well, what king wouldn't like that? So he passes that law. And then he learns that they then accuse Daniel. So, well, Daniel's continuing to pray. And you wrote a decree that whoever did that was to be thrown into the den of lions. And the king instantly regretted his decision because he liked Daniel. And Daniel had been a good leader for him. But he was required to to uh, keep his law. He had to do that as well. So they go get Daniel. They throw him into the lion's den. Chapter 6 tells us that the king didn't sleep that night thinking about Daniel and worrying about him. And early in the morning, he went and looked in the window and said, Daniel, did your God save you? And he said, I'm fine, O king. God shut the mouths of the lions. God, the king had him taken out and threw in the ones that had accused him, and they were eaten instantly. The book goes on to continue about how Daniel rose in status to the king. He started interpreting dreams upon dreams, and, and then towards the end, it's really fascinating, as we read the book of Daniel, God started showing him the end times, and when you want to study that part, the tribulation, the end times, what's going to happen, Daniel is one of the best ones to read. It's, it, of course, is symbolism. You have to understand the symbology of the weeks and uh, those kind of times and the days. But when you go through and dissect it, it lays it out and it uh has come true some of it because God predicted that he would bring the people back after 70 years of exile and they were Daniel was a person of great faith and he's a person that we can study to learn a little better how we can be people of faith and so he uh, paid the price for his faith of course because he was successful and God blessed him and he was a a righteous person living according to the ways of God and gaining favor with the king and others, there's this group, and there always seems to be a group, that resented his success, that resented his stature, and so they, they worked against him in order to try to bring him down, but of course they were foiled. So he, he had a price for his faith, and he, he almost lost his life based on that if God had not intervened. But he was rewarded for his faith as well. He was continued to raise in stature within the kingdom, continued to be trusted. And one of the things that happened is this is the same period that the Israelites are allowed to return back to their land, starting with Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel's the first one, and he took many of the Jewish people back to the land of Israel. The king allowed him to do that. After Zerubbabel, there was Ezra. Ezra took a few more back and took some goods from the king, and they started rebuilding the temple. The temple, of course, had been destroyed in the battle, and it was very important to them to have their temple. Now, one way that the Jewish people thought, and many people thought in that day, was they saw gods, and even Jehovah God, as being connected to a place. 
And so for them, the temple was where God resided. And if the temple wasn't sound, then God couldn't be there or God couldn't be in the temple. And so it was important to them to rebuild the temple so that God would have his place of residence. Uh, unfortunately, they, they were limited in their thinking in that way. They were very nationalistic about their gods and other people's gods, and they accepted that this nation would have that God and the Jews had their God and so forth. Uh, God eventually uh, uh, opened the light up on that and taught us how he's everywhere, and Christianity did a lot to do that. But Daniel was very involved, and then, of course, the last one that went back was Nehemiah. Nehemiah had been born in captivity. He had lived there all his life. Uh, we, we talked about him a few weeks ago. His brother came and told him that the walls were in shambles, that Jerusalem was indefensible, and he was heavily burdened, and he got permission of the king to go back and build the wall around Jerusalem. All of that was a no doubt aided by Daniel's faithfulness and by the stature and approval he gained with the king. And so it all works together, and God works all these, these paths together to accomplish his will, and they intermingled. And so we have a lot we can learn from Daniel as he, as he was. Daniel, there are three words I think of when I was thinking about him. One, he was very consistent. That's one reason the conspirators knew how to capture him because they knew what time of day he would be praying. They knew where he would be praying. He typically was at a window looking towards Jerusalem uh, in order to kind of help him focus and pray. So he was very consistent in how he worshiped God and, and when he prayed. And he did that several times a day. That is very helpful for us as humans to develop a pattern, and once we do, our body just kind of settles in to that's what we do at that moment. Uh, many years ago, as I was uh, in uh, Douglasville, Georgia, Sunday school teacher, it was my habit, of course, to study my lesson. I had the couch there in our living room with an end table there, and that became my regular place in the morning to go to read my Bible and to pray before God. And, and like you challenge, I'm challenged with, I'm sure we all are, it was a habit I had to get into. Uh, people that are experts in this say it takes 13 consistent times to develop a habit and I think it takes more than that for me because I've done things 13 times and still struggled. But I did. I got into the habit of going to this place in the morning before the family awoke, reading my Bible, taking my time to pray. And I did discover that as I got up in the morning and as I went to that place, it seemed like my mind and body just got ready to worship God. It didn't take time to prepare. I, I, I just was in God's presence. And that's very typical. Our, our mind and body works that way, that when we get into a regular habit, it, it knows that's what's going to happen. 
And so for that reason, it's very helpful for us to develop a quiet time that's consistent, to have a place where we go to God is everywhere, of course, but a specific place that we kneel before Him or we, we sit before Him, talking to Him, it helps us get into that mode of worship by doing the same thing regularly. And I encourage you to do that. Daniel was very consistent in his prayer time. He was very consistent in how he worshipped God. This, the book of Daniel takes us through many years in Daniel's life, and he just was very consistent that he followed God, that he obeyed God, that he followed his ways, and he didn't vary from that. In fact, he grew deeper. And that's what God wants of us. He wants us to grow deeper in faith. The other word that I thought about with Daniel is he persevered because he did have people come against him. He did have people that did not want to see him succeed. He did have those who tried to get him killed, actually. But he persevered. He did not let that. And it would have been so easy, so typical, because this law that they got the king to pass was only for 30 days. And Daniel could have equivocated. He could have said, well, Lord, it's just for 30 days. If I stop my prayer time for that period, uh, then, then it'll be over with and I can go back to it. Would have been an understandable thing. Would have been a thing many people would have done is, uh, you understand, Lord, I don't really mean to stop worshiping you, but to save my neck, I'm going to not do it for 30 days at the same way. But Daniel wasn't that way. He wasn't going to let that law stop him from worshiping his God. And he knew the penalty. He would have read the law. He would have known all about it, that those who break that law would be fed to the lion. So he knew when he knelt down that the penalty was death. He knew he had conspirators coming against him that would be watching him. But still, he was not going to deny his God he persevered in his faith, and God rewarded that. Daniel was consistent. Daniel persevered, and Daniel was constant. And there's a little bit of difference between consistency and constancy. Daniel was both of those. He was consistent in what he did. He was constant in his worship of God. And those are things we can learn from Daniel. Daniel's faith cost him by being falsely accused. He was convicted of the sham law. He was sentenced to death, but he still had held true to what God wanted him to do. He held true to how he knew he communed with God and where and how God spoke to him. And God blessed that. And God honored it. And in this case, God saved his life and did not let him. And as I said, as a result of that, he aided his fellow countrymen there in the land so that they could be allowed to go back. His action gained honor for the Jewish people that even though they worshipped another god, they obeyed the laws of the land and they, they obeyed the king. And the king then was gracious and let them go back and rebuild. It was all in God's time work, all in God's framework of how God works to accomplish his will. 
It also shows us God's great love because they were in exile because the Jewish people had turned away from God, would not worship Him as God insisted. They, they went their own way and God sent them prophet after prophet and God warned them time and again. But they continued to rebel against God and go their own way. And so God allowed them to be carried off into exile for 70 years. But God never stopped working with them. All this time, God is present with them, and he's working behind the scenes. He's still blessing Daniel as he prophesied. He blessed Nehemiah as the cupbearer to the king. He blessed Ezra and Zerubbabel that they could go back and help reestablish the country. It is this same period that we have the book of Esther, who was there to help save the Jewish people from annihilation when, when the, the, I can't think of his name, he doesn't want to pull it out. I want to say her uncle Mordecai, but it wasn't him, it was Haman, when Haman wanted to kill them all. And she was there in that place. God had her there as a queen before the king so that she could intercede. So all this time, even though they were in exile because of disobedience to God, God still loves his people, he was still working with them, and he was still working for them to return to their land. That's the gracious kind of God we have. We can disobey him, we can go our own way, we can not listen to him, and while he may withhold his blessings from us, he loves us, he wants to restore that fellowship, and that's the beautiful picture of the prodigal son who took his inheritance, frittered it away, and tried to come back as a slave, but the father was waiting for him, received him with open arms. That's the kind of God we serve. God is pleased by faith. God has chosen to serve us, or for us to serve him and his purpose here on earth. And when we walk in faith and act in faith, we're doing God's work here on earth. It's kind of a mystery. Why would the supreme creator of the universe who can speak worlds into existence, who can cause whatever he wants to happen, to happen just by willing it, but he chooses to use you and me to accomplish his will here on earth. And it's a blessing. We are blessed by working with God, by, by serving Him, but we will pay a price for our faith. There is a price to pay. It does mean we have to deny ourselves. It does mean we can't get what we want everything every time, and we, we yield ourselves to what God would have, not because it's fun, not because we think it's going to be great, but because we trust in what he says in what we should do. And so we willingly yield ourselves. We sing that song, I Surrender All. God could take it away from us, and God can set us on a shelf. He can not use us. He can carry us into exile, in a sense. We can go out into the wilderness for a while. God is waiting for us to return to him. But he blesses us when we live by faith, when we seek to do his will. There is an enemy 
that is trying to defeat us. The oldest book, the oldest written history in the book is really considered the book of Job. Yes, Genesis goes back to creation, but it was considered written after the book of Job. Book of Job is considered the oldest written book in the Bible. Again, the Pentateuch was written later. But in that book, we have the account where Satan comes back from roaming through the earth. And God says, where have you been, Satan? He says, oh, I've been going through the earth, looking at this and that. And God says, have you seen my servant Job? Have you observed him? He's an upright man, a righteous man, a good man. And Satan will says, well, sure he is, God. You protect him. You let him give him everything good. You don't let anything bad come his way. You just let him have some bad circumstances and see if he doesn't turn against you, God. That's who Satan is. He's the accuser. He accuses us of things. He works against us. He wants to defeat us. And so God trusted in Job to think of it that way and said, okay, you can, you can bring some ill stuff his way. You can bring some bad things, and you'll see. He stays true. Well, he has the worst come to him. Family is killed. Crops are decimated. Animals are taken away. But Job will not curse God. He will not, even his own wife said, curse God and die. Get over this. It's better to be dead than going through this, and he wouldn't do it. He was a faithful man. But there's an enemy since time immemorial that is accusing God's people. And he's around today. The Bible tells us, Peter tells us, Satan is as a ravenous lion seeking whom he may devour. He doesn't want God's people being effective and there's much that we can do that he'll, he doesn't care about. He, he really doesn't mind if we show up in church on Sunday and sing some songs. But he does mind when we start proclaiming Jesus Christ. That's what he doesn't want. And as we get active in sharing the gospel, we can expect to see his attacks more. There is an enemy, and the person that talked about him the most was really Jesus. Jesus confronted him. He was tempted by Satan. And Jesus confronted him and would not give in. So if you accept those words of Jesus, Jesus is one that says there is a person, Satan, a fallen angel who seeks to knock down God's people. Daniel's example of a tremendous level of faith that God expects Hebrews 11.6, a verse I've shared with you many times. It's a, a great verse to have memorized. It says, for without faith, it is impossible to please God. For anyone who comes to him must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Our faith in God believe, begins by acknowledging there is a God. And then acknowledging that we fall short of the standard that God requires. God requires perfection. He says, be ye perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect, Jesus said. He expects a totally righteous, sinless life 
And all of the Old Testament, all of the laws, everything that occurred was to show us that no matter how hard we try, no matter how good we are within ourselves, we fall short of what God expects. Before Jesus Christ came, we were doomed. We had no way to develop relationship with God because of our sin. And in spite of ourselves, we could not reach that level of perfection. It took a man to come, Jesus. It took God to take on flesh, to be a God-man, to be that perfect individual. And as such, being perfect, he was able to take all of our sins upon himself. I don't understand all this. This is part of the economy of God. I don't know how it works, but God said it. I believe it, and it's settled. Jesus took my sin some 2,000 years ago before I was even thought of upon himself, carried it to the cross, paid the penalty of death for that sin, which is what God requires. The wages of sin is death. So that when Wes came along, God's Spirit could speak to him and waken that in me to where I receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. I accept that I need His salvation and I trust Him as Lord. Those who believe in Him must believe that He exists. You've got to believe God exists. God starts out, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God he doesn't try to prove himself. He doesn't try to justify himself. just says it. In the beginning, God, and God created heaven and earth. After we believe that he exists, then we have to believe that it is beneficial to follow him, that he is a rewarder of those who seek him, that as we follow his ways, that he improves our life, that he helps us along the way, and that he gives us an abundant life. A lot of times we don't think we're getting the abundant life because of what we want. But God gives us what we need to have eternal life and to have abundance. And God honors that. Does Hebrews 11.6 include you? Have you come to that place that God is real and you need Him in your life? Do you live your life in such a way that honors God? Do you seek to know Him deeper and more fully each day? Do you set aside time for Him each day? Do you make worshiping Him a priority? I have asked, I can ask, do you believe in God? And you'll say yes. And then I ask the other question, do you believe God? Because God has told us so much to do. Do you give God the first fruits of your life? Meaning, do you give Him His time, your time, first and foremost? Or does He just kind of fit into your schedule along the way somewhere? If God were to examine your daily schedule, and of course He sees it, and if He were to look at your checkbook, what would He say would be, first in your life? If you were to open those things up to one of us, what would we see as the primary importance to you? 
I'll confess one of the habits I have that I have to struggle to break is when I get up in the morning, the first thing I want to do is turn on the computer. I want to see if I got any email. I want to check the post office to see what mail I've come and I want to check my bank accounts. I want to do all that. And that voice inside me says, don't turn it on, Wes. Take time for me. Open the Bible. And I struggle with that because of my interest and in, in love for computers. But I know if I get started, next thing I know, two hours have passed. Time to get up. Time to go do what I have to do. And God's fallen by the wayside again. I have to discipline myself to make Him the first thing in my life. Does He have that place in your life? Is He not worth it? Has He not done for you? what no one else could do? Sure He has. We all know that. We all struggle with putting God first. You do, I do. We need a family of faith that will encourage us to do that. We need a family of faith that undergirds and supports us. We need a family of faith that will teach the truth of God's Word even when it convicts us, even when it challenges us. That kind of family of faith leads us into a deeper walk with God. And a deeper walk with God results in a life of peace. We can have peace with God. Trouble can be all around us, but we can know we have peace with God. And we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt if something happens and we take our last breath, the heart stops, whatever it is, that we can be in His presence immediately we can know that we can have that assurance trials come but we'll have the strength to see it through others both near and far will be blessed because of God being honored in our lives and in our church final question repeat again you believe in God do you believe God because He has promised so much and He wants you to have so much. He wants to bless you. He's not a mean Father who wants to abuse you. What He's waiting for is for you to yield yourself to Him. We can close Him off. We can hinder Him. We can quench Him. He gives us that ability so that we love Him freely. And when we do, He pours out riches and blessings upon us, and He sees us through each and every trial. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our most precious Heavenly Father, Lord, in my words, I've given You glory and honor for how much You love us, how You sustain us, how You watch over us, and, and what You want to do. But Lord, in all those words, they still fall short of who you are, of what you want to accomplish, if we'll have faith and we'll step out in that faith trusting you. Lord, forgive us for thinking we can handle things better. Forgive us for thinking we need to keep the reins on our life, making the decisions. 
forgive us for not trusting Father. I ask that for each one right now, you would speak to them what they need to hear. Lord, you're a personal God. You have a personal relationship. We are different people and we have different challenges. We have different things that trip us up. So I ask, Lord, that you would speak to each one of us individually about what you want us to yield to you next so that we can grow in faith, so that our faith can be deepened, so that you can be glorified even more. Father, I thank you for each one here that they have come to worship you today. And I know that they worship you in their life and seek to honor you. So I ask your blessings upon that effort. Lord, help me love you more. Help us love you more. Thank you for Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we gather and pray. Amen.